Uh, before I begin, this year should be a merit. This year should be a blessing and a merit for the health and success of the families of Regina Bas Yosef Reuven and Yeshaya ben Yisrael, Binyamin Wolf, ben Tzviyash, and Baruch ben Binyamin Wolf. Their souls should have an aliyah in the merit of the shir. Uh, I'm giving a shir tonight um, because I, I, I want to explore a topic which I'm sure I mentioned briefly in the past, you know, but something to be much more elaborate because Ramchal talks a lot about this but it's very important to understand uh, the topic itself why it exists and uh, to talk about what the Ramchal says about it in the Derech Hashem <laughs> so in that sense I'm re- returning to the Sefer Derech Hashem to explore this topic which in many ways is very vast <laughs> and it's also the future it's really this topic is the future and the topic itself is prophecy. What is prophecy? Now we have a very simple idea of prophecy. You know, we look at the Tanakh, and we see there's a lot of people, not a lot, but there were a lot of Nevi'im prophets in Israel. <laughs> you know, obviously they, um, they, they were able to tell the future and what God is saying, because in many ways a prophet was a vehicle to express or communicate the will of God, what God is about to do, uh, you know, but that, in many ways, that's a very simplified version, because we don't realize that if, that f- prophecy uh, is a phenomenon, it's really what it is, and it can only exist because of the structure of the human being. In fact, without that structure, you would have known of him, Right? we would not have been able to receive the Torah because you need the, the vehicle called prophecy. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu had of the greatest kind. <clears throat> and the entire Torah was communicated to him through Nevoah, through prophecy. I mean, when you think about it, that's what it was. <coughs> it wasn't. <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu walked in the desert and all of a sudden he found a script called the Torah. It was a, the vehicle of the Torah, of giving the Torah, obviously, was Nevoah, was prophecy. So obviously, prophecy as an experience, or as an event, <laughs> had to exist. And besides, we know it's critical because the Ramanisham communicates to Avram and to, or certainly to Adam. All of this was through the agency or the phenomenon called Nevoah, prophecy. And not only that, most people don't know, and I'm going to try to explain, that if there was no such thing as prophecy, which is the ability to communicate with the divine or the spiritual, that's really what it is, basically, at least in terms of what happens, you wouldn't have Shabbos. You don't realize that Shabbos is a prophetic experience. Because most people don't know what Shabbos is, you know, which we will see that you can live your whole life every Shabbos <laughs> observing the laws and the dinam and the halachas of Shabbos. Yeah, you don't know that you're a Novi and that's what you're really experiencing. And you're fooled because you don't realize you know, you don't have the direct communication with the Mershom. But Shabbos is really a day of Nevoah. It's shocking. 
So that's what I want to go into, certainly as an intro to the whole concept of what Nuvua is and how important it is. And that Nuvua is the major state <laughs> that we will experience in Yemais HaMashiach. So we're not looking here at some fringe event, you know, where you know, it's like, you know, where you have to go, like, you know, you remember there used to be the circus. You had, uh, the circus used to have weird people, you know, people that really had really weird stuff going on <laughs> without getting into that and so on. You know, prophecy is not weird. Prophecy is part of Judaism. And not only that, it is, it is what Oilam Habo is about. It is what Yemaisa Mashiach is about. It is the major vehicle of the giving of the Torah, you see. And it is also a major idea in terms of Shabbos and, other, and all the Yom Tabim. So clearly prophecy is not uh, something which is on the periphery. Nevoah, prophecy is fundamental to the whole religion of Judaism, which is really one of the things I, I want to explain. But before I do, I thought it was appropriate to address something that happened last night in America, in Philadelphia. There was an Asifa, a gathering, and it was like 20,000 people, which is really very nice, of all the, of thousands and thousands of B'nai Torah, guys who learned Torah a significant part of the day. You see, it was sponsored by the Lakewood Yeshiva, BMG, you know, Bismuth, Govoya, and so on. <laughs> I understand it was really packed and so on, which is really tremendous, for the expressed purpose of what? Of celebrating, right? And giving honor and prestige to people who are engaged in Torah. Because that is one of the things that upholds the world, which we know, Liminatura. You know, if there's no Liminatura, the world does not exist, and so on, you know. So, you know, there was a lot of people there, and so on. <clears throat> and I was waiting for somebody, I didn't hear, but, I mean, I didn't hear the, most of it, you know, and so on. Uh, I was not able to go, whatever. But um, what they would say, right? How do you machazek? How do you inspire 20,000 people to learn Torah, right? To set aside times to learn Torah, right? Because what you really want to talk about is the significance of Torah. Anyway, so I'd like to add my two cents, hope it's worth more, uh, to what, what I would have said had I been invited, in any case. And I would have said this, what we do not understand is really what Torah is. Because the way Torah is, a, is the form of Torah that we learn is really basically a law book. It's laws, right? Halachas, right? And what is a law? What is a halacha? It's the required behavior in a given situation. That's what a law is. That's its definition. You know, it's, there's a given situation. It's called a case or the situation, right? And what is the required behavior? And there are absolutes. <coughs> Now, <coughs> now there are many things to say about that, <laughs> but that's basically the way it appears to us, you see. 
But really, I just would like to talk. I once gave a shir, actually several shurim. What is the Torah? But there is one idea that I would like to express, which I think would be very reinforcing about what you do when you learn the Torah. What is that? And it answers many questions. One of the most puzzling questions that it answers <coughs> is not only what is the significance of Torah, but why is it so important, really, you know? Why do I have to spend all my days learning Torah, thinking about Torah, <coughs> and so on? So what I would like to say is the following. What is Torah really at a, what's called an essential level, ontological level? And <laughs> one of the best examples I could give of what Torah really is, is we know that matter, right, matter, has many states of existence. In fact, it really has four, even though most people they think it has three. Let's take water. Water is, you know, H2O, <clears throat> right? Two atoms of um, two atoms of uh, hydrogen and one atom of oxygen. That forms a unit of water called <clears throat> called uh, a water molecule, H2O, and so on, right? But water, besides what it is in terms of its structure, its composition of atoms, water also has three states. The first state is water. It's a liquid. In other words, at a normal temperature, it is a liquid. Whatever, we know, obviously. But what you can do is change its state. You could freeze it, and it becomes ice. Now, ice does not look like water, but it is water, and we know that. <laughs> it has the exact same atomic and molecular structure as the liquid form, which is water. That's ice. Then, if you raise the temperature, obviously, to a sufficient extent, it becomes, you know, steam. Now, steam doesn't look like water. Really, hardly, you can't even see it, really. But we know steam is the exact same thing, basically, as water. But wait a minute. It's different. It's a different state, you see. You know, so matter has three different states. All matter can be in one of those three states. There's what's called its natural state, which what is it at the normal temperature? And then, of course, when the temperatures become extreme, then these things change and so on, you know? But we all know that it's really all the same. There's a difference in the state of water, but it's all water. That's a very important concept, you see? What that tells us is the concept of identicality. What does that mean? That you can have two things that look totally different, but are really the same thing, right? That's really what it is. Most people don't think of it that way, uh, but it means that there's an identicality of many, many different substances on this planet, water being a very fundamental one. Well, just like here, there can be a different state of matter, when you go back to the beginning of creation, right, there's God. Okay, now, the Ravonshim obviously is not matter, but the Ravonshim, to us anyway, is an entity of some sort that we don't really know. Okay, now, the entity of God, which is completely 
not just incomprehensible, that's not even the problem with it, is that's incomprehensible, but who God really is in terms of the truth of his being, it's not just that it's incomprehensible, there's no idea that can express that being. There are no words. So obviously it's incomprehensible. There's not even words to express the nature of that type of being. You see? Anyway, well, I, and I'm not going to the depth of this and so on, so what does that mean? But like I say, it's not that God <clears throat> is incomprehensible. He certainly is. The problem is that there, there are no concepts that can describe who he really is. Why? Because the concepts don't exist. You see, God has to create concepts just like he has to create matter and so on, you see. <laughs> so that's the problem with the Bansham. So what the Bansham has to do to overcome that problem? Then how do you connect to him? If he's not, not only not comprehensible, there's no concepts that describe that type of entity. And the answer is, well, guess what? He has to create the concepts that he can be described, that he can be described as. And he does. So this is we can call the first appearance of the Rabbanu Shlodim into the Bria. And that's what the Bria is. It is a created concept place. Now the Rabbanu therefore can assume the guise of these concepts and say, okay, as far as you're concerned, this is who I am. So that's how he assumes his presence. Well, that's how he becomes known to us. Because he actually has to create the concepts in which we now can describe them. So, what is the concepts that he creates? And the answer is, ain't safe. Ain't safe. Now, ain't safe itself is incomprehensible. But the concept of ain't safe does exist. Or we don't know what that is. We do know that God in the form or the state of ain't safe <coughs> <clears throat> right we know in that form that like I said that there are concepts but they are truly incomprehensible without getting into what that means and so on you see so that's the concept where the Bansham now becomes uh, knowable or identifiable at some level and so on so the area called Atzmusoy who he really is, is not only incomprehensible, right? There's no concepts that exist that can even describe that entity. So that's called atzmusoy. That's the words I use, right? Now, God as a nivra, so to speak, which means that he created concepts, right? Uh, in which he can identify himself, not that he is that, which he's not, but at least to us he can be identified, you know, using that concept. So that is called Ein Soif. Fine. Now, Ein Soif itself is a level where the Rebbe like I said, you know, <clears throat> is really incomprehensible, right? But at least there's something there that can be identified. Now, but Ein Soif itself has many states, like water, which is interesting. 
Okay. So there's a thing called Ein Tsoif, right? <clears throat> and then there's a different state of Ein Tsoif, right? We can call it Shechina as a general term. So Shechina is another state. Just like steam is another state of water, Shechina is a state of Ein Tsoif, which is very interesting, you see. So Shechina is one. But there's another state of God. And most people are not aware of this. Right? So we now understand what? Atzmusoy, which is I mentioned. Then Einsoyf, right? Which means he's can be identified in some concept, even though it's not comprehensible to us. But then there's Shechina, whatever that is, right? Which we can, because it represents God in that sense, or it's another state of God, <coughs> we can therefore, I, uh, you know, g- get a grasp of the Rebbe It's now more graspable, if you want to use that word. <coughs> and I want, what I want to bring out, and this is what I would have said at that Asifa, is that there is another state of God, right? There's Ein Soif, one. There's Shechina, which is two. But there's another state, and you know what that state is called? Torah. What Torah really is, and we have no idea of how and why, you see? Torah is God at a different state, you see? So instead of water and steam, you now have ice. I hate to use that word, ice. You know, it sounds like God is very cold, right? But it's another state of matter or substance. Torah is that. What does it come out? comes out an amazing idea. That when you learn Torah, right, in some way you are touching, attaching yourself to the being called God. <coughs> because that's another state of God. Now it's true we don't understand how. And by the way, Oilum Habo is the place of exploration for eternity. That's in Oilam Haba we go through all the different levels of understanding the different states of God. You see, that all happens in Oilam Haba, which is very important and so on. But in Oilam Haba we will understand what the Torah really is. You see? But what I'm trying to emphasize is Torah, even though we don't know how, like I said, to us it looks like a law book, <laughs> you know, but it's not that, really. That's how we understand it. But what Torah really is, is another state of the divine. It's another state of Elokus, of God. Therefore, when you learn Torah, what are you really doing? You are attaching yourself, Dvekus, to God himself. And that's why Torah is so significant because it's God even though we don't understand that so could you imagine somebody who devotes himself all day long right all day long he learns Torah Torah Shabbat the written law Torah Shabbat the oral law can you imagine this is what the person does that means basically all day he's attached to the Shekhinah now, he doesn't understand that, he doesn't know this, right? But he doesn't have to hear. 
all of this will become readily available, you see, in the Yemais Mashiach. That's when we first begin to get an inkling of what Torah is. In fact, if you want to know, we know that in Yemais Mashiach, there's a thing called the Nunshari Bino, the 50th gate of understanding. What is that? A deeper understanding of the law? Yeah, that's not really what it is. What is this Torah of the Mashiach? Uh, where it says, I, want, I brought this Medrash down, I think last week or whatever, that the Medrash Rabbah in the end of Kohelas says an astounding statement that all the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, which we know is everything, right? I mean, it's, it's Bavli, Yerushalmi, uh, Sifra, Sifrei, Mechilta, <laughs> right? It's everything. It's Shedas and Shuvas, Svarim and so on, right? It, uh, and, right? All of that right, is Hevel, is nothing compared to the Torah of the Mashiach. Nothing. That's how insignificant it is. Not because it is insignificant, because it's the weakest form or state of God. You see, it's the, I hate to use the word, but it's the grossest form of God. It's like the finest form of water, esteem. <coughs> and <coughs> what's even uh, above that is water it's more gross <coughs> and above that is ice where it becomes a solid you see so therefore the Moisa Mashiach the messianic light which is the Nunshari Bina which is the 50th gate of wisdom is the Torah we know that it's called the Orishim what is that origin? It's where what you're looking at is now manifest as God, you see? Not just as a mitzvah. Now, we don't understand what that means. And now we can understand. That's why the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu is nothing compared to Yemesha Mashiach. Do you have any idea the statement, the significance of that statement? Because remember, Yemesha Mashiach is a time that men live. We're not talking about Habo. We're not even talking about spiritual worlds. We're talking about a physical world in which Torah will be manifest as God, but obviously at a very low level. You see, that's how we can actually begin to understand. It's not that we'll know more information. You see, or we'll have a deeper understand. You know, we'll know the the, the contradictions of the Rambam. You know, with the Machlokes Rishonim, you know, the Rambam, the Raivad, and so on, right? No, that's not really what goes on. Where all of a sudden all the people will have an answer. Uh, that's what people think. Uh, everything's going to be answered. You know, all the the Raivads, the Rabbi Avram Ben David, the Hasogus of the Raivad against the Rambam. Well, all this is going to be known. Like it's a huge forum of you know of all the people <coughs> no what it means is like it said and, and really the Torah hints to that Kimolo Ha'oretz Deyo it's Hashem you see the world will be filled or saturated with the knowledge of God it doesn't say it's going to be saturated with knowledge of the Torah you notice it doesn't say that Torah is going to be all over why because the essence of the Yemosa Mashiach is not a forum of the answers of the Raiva to the Rambam. 
That's what most people think. No. It's where the manifestation of God is now revealed as a state of God. Torah is a state. So we now actually begin to see God in the Torah. You see? It answers, gives you a real understanding uh, why it says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, not Torah. Why? Because that's the key. Because Torah is the lowest state of God as a state. See, that's when we begin to interact with the Rabbanu Shalom, you see, as a state. It's a very different understanding of what Yemoisa Mashiach is. In many ways, it's very profound. Like I said, because people think, oh, now, you know, about Yemoisa Mashiach, some guy is going to get up there and give a shia how he answers the Rambam and the Raiva and the Ritva, the Rajba and so on, you know. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be included. That's not what it's all about. That's why it doesn't refer really in many ways to the Torah. It refers to God, the revelation of the Rabbanu Shlalem in Yemaisa Mashiach. Now, if that's the case, we don't even understand what the Torah is at the level of the world after Yemaisa Mashiach, which is Oilim Yitzira. That's the beginning of the spiritual domain, right? And then there's Bria, the world above that, not Silus, which is the world of divinity. And we're not even into Oilim Habo yet. So we have no idea of realities, of what there really is. You know, to us, well, everything's physical. Uh, you see? And therefore, that's why Torah is very physical. In fact, because of that, it has to reflect the laws of physicality. Torah has to assume physical situations. And then we can exercise laws about that physical situation. You see? Because that's what we experience in terms of what Torah is. But when Torah doesn't need that state, then what happens? When Torah can now express itself in terms of what it really is, it's a it's astounding, you see, and that's what it means. Now, where do we see this? Because it says, there's a chazal. I'm going to give you two chazals and, and move on. First chazal is where it says, Kuchibrechu shkinte, the Shalom and his shkina. See, now you understand what the shkina is. It's another state of Kuchibrechu, you see. But Kuchibrechu is not comprehensible. It's not even knowable. Ushkinte is the part, the insof, that we begin to be able to tap into it because it has a concept, even if it doesn't, it's not comprehensible. But it says, right? And then, Klai Yisrael, and the Torah is Chadhu, you see. So we begin to realize that we're not dealing here with some new entity Everything is the Rabbanu Shalom. You see, that's how we know that it's all Torah is an identicality with God. And I already spoke about the Neshama as an identicality with God. A couple of Shurim ago and so on. And the second idea, which is very important, is there was a dialogue, or I should say a debate with Moshe Rabbeinu. We know that the Malachim said to Moshe Rabbeinu, why should you get the Torah? Right? We want the Torah. Right? We want it. So the obvious thing that anybody would have answered them is, excuse me, 
you know, it's a law book that assumes physical situations. You don't have those physical situations. You know, you don't have any possessions, so what's the point of stealing? You don't have mothers and fathers, so what are we talking about here? Right? That's what, that's what uh, Moshe Abenu answered them. You know, to, it's a law book that needs physical situations. You don't have them. You see? So the real question is, it's obvious what Moshe answered, what in the world was the Malachim thinking? They know that. And the answer is because they know that Torah is a state of God. And that's what they wanted. They wanted the state of God at the level of the, uh, that, the Torah state of God at a much higher level, not of the physical realm, but of the spiritual realm. <laughs> and they were right in that sense that the Torah at that ideal level can be applied because it's really more knowledge of God. And everybody wants to know, at least they should want to know, who God is. Because the entity of the Bersham is something we cannot even begin to fathom. And so on. What an unbelievable entity he is. And so on. You see. So that, that's the answer. And Moshe Abeno answered them. The reason why Torah has to be at this level the reason why the Torah is at the level where it's part of the physical world, right, is because the Bansha wants the Torah to be dependent on the acts of man. Because in that way the Torah grows. Clearly the Bansha wants the interaction, right, of mankind to be able to influence, to be able to influence the amount of Torah. First idea. Second idea which I want to say is that <coughs> we are living in very dangerous times which I, is, a, is, a, is a comment on, on current events because it's happening all over the place you see there is a certain concept which is valued and treasured by God and he will not tolerate a violation and an abuse of this concept what is this concept? This concept is the concept called justice. God runs the entire Bria through justice. You see, what is justice? Justice is a rule that man determines what happens to himself. Not God, man. And God will do in accordance with what a man does. That's why we say that God is a shadow like a shadow doesn't do anything on its own. It follows the person. That's what a shadow is. The Bansham is a shadow in the sense that he doesn't do anything to us. We do it to us. And he just follows what we did. You see. So justice works two ways, we know. It rewards you if you do good. And the second thing that it does is you get punished. Why? <clears throat> because justice in that sense, you must undo what you did. That's true justice. You see, that's why you can't complain and say, well, what are you, what are you doing this to me? So Bansham simply says, well, what am I doing to you? You did it. I'm just undoing it. That's really what justice is. It must come from your actions. You did this, right? You did A. So you need to undo A. Justice is not where you do A and you get B. <coughs> no. B is nothing more than an undoing of A, and that's what Mida Keneged Mida means. 
measure for measure. You did A, so what do you get? You get A. But A, if it's not good, is an undoing of A. See, that's why justice is really the most logical form of how the Rebbe reacts to people. You see? And that's what determines God's acts. Very important idea. That's the concept of what midah connected midah, you see? Because the Rebbe in the end, has to perform or interact with you with an absolute uh, uh, degree of undoing which is justice. Uh, same idea. If you do A, which is a great act, right, then you get A. Because God says, well, you did A, so I'm giving you A. That's what you did. Except He gives it to you in a different form. But really, in the premise of it, it's the same thing, right? If you do something good, you do a mitzvah, what you're really doing is acknowledging the existence of God, and that's why I'm going to do His will. So God said, well, you acknowledge my existence. Guess what? You will get my existence. That's me, the connected me, the on the positive side. You see, that's really what justice is. We are witnessing, right, the upheaval, the overturning of justice. You see, and that's what's happening in America. We don't realize something. America has become not only an immoral society, they have become a lawless society. Uh, but here's the problem. You want to break the law, right? That's one thing. And therefore, that's what they're doing. There's no law anymore. New York is a lawless city. It's being destroyed while we watch. Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Portland, St. Louis, New Orleans. (laughs) All these cities, these cities after cities, are lawless. And nobody cares or they come up with these ridiculous concepts. Well, the criminals are the victims. Are you crazy? What do you mean they're victims? You know, they can't do to others because even if they had a bad situation, what gives them the right to harm other people? For what? This whole concept of racism is absolute stupidity. This is what's happening. We can't believe what's happening in America. I'm not even talking about the morality. That's another problem. I'm talking about the justice of America. So what's happening is we are watching America die because it has become a lawless society. And here's the problem. God will not tolerate that. Why? Because justice is what is the foundation of society. You see? You remember there was a city called Sedaim? Why did God destroy Sodom? But what's interesting about Sodom is not only destroyed Sodom, right, which he did, but the way he destroyed it was supernatural. You know what I'm saying? It was supernatural. Question is why? Because Sodom was not only immoral, you see, but what they did is they were completely anti-justice. It was ridiculous. The victim became the perpetrator, if you, if you know all the stuff that they did. So God said, listen, my society can't exist if there's no justice. People can't live together if there are no laws. Then everybody can do whatever they want. It's, it's over with. In other words, what, God, what is a society? A society is where mankind can live together. Because no man is an island in, in that sense. Nobody 
can live alone and supply all his needs. We need other people, right? Even not only in terms of religion, somebody's got to make the you know manufacture the uh, the food and then I can eat it and so on. Society is where man can interact with man and survive and flourish. Without a society, then everybody goes back to being basically a loner. You know, what do you want to call the guy? Caveman, whatever, you know. But he's a loner. God doesn't want that. He wants a society, you see, not where people live alone. And I once spoke about that, the concept that every all mankind are really united and so on. But in any case, so therefore, in order to survive, preserve society, mankind has to have rules, regulations. Well, how do we survive together? That's why there are laws. That's why there are courts. So man can survive together, right? When a society becomes lawless, that is the beginning of the end of society. It's the breakdown. Why do you think everybody's leaving New York? Right? What does it mean that they leave New York? What a person is saying, I can't survive here. There's no society here. You know, I can go into the, tra uh, to the train station, right? And somebody's going to walk over to me and punch me in the face, right? Or throw me on the tracks. Uh, this is not a society. It's a hefkevelt, as they say in Yiddish. <coughs> Therefore, since it's not a society, I have to check, get out, and go to Florida, Texas, wherever they're running. But that's the biggest proof that New York is not a society that is sustainable. It's astounding to watch a city that is so sophisticated, so advanced, like New York City, right, can be destroyed in such a short amount of time, right? How? New York's got like, what, 8 million people? How in the world do you destroy a city like New York? In what? In two years. And the answer is, all you need is a bunch of idiots, right? That's all you need is a bunch of idiots, schlamazels. I don't want to use other colorful terms, right? And all you need is a group of them. You don't even much. And if they have the authority to rule, they can destroy a city as large, as sophisticated as New York. They can knock it out in two years, which they're doing. That's all it requires. It's astounding. To build up New York takes, what, hundreds of years? To destroy it takes two you see, and that's really what's happening with New York and Los Angeles and so on, you know. The problem is this. It's not only that society will not exist. That's one dimension of the problem. And this is, but this is why I'm saying, since we have the model of Sodom, so God said to Sodom, listen, mankind can't survive with this. Therefore, just like you are violating natural law therefore natural law will destroy you so they were destroyed supernaturally measure for measure you see so he destroyed them what do we see so why did he destroy Saddam was it only because they are destroying the ability of Saddam to be a city yes that's certainly part of it but that's I hold something much deeper because Saddam made a mockery of justice. 
as they say in, in, in Hebrew, you know, a galechta, as they say in Yiddish, you know, they made a mockery of justice. It's like they all got together, right? And they convened a gathering and they invited God to join the gathering as the honored guest. And they all lined up in front of him and they laughed in his face and said, you think your will is going to be sustained? You think you're going to tell us how to live? Oh, no. We defy you. We make a mockery of the law or the rule or the principle that keeps us afloat. That's what God will not tolerate. America is a beacon to the world. They don't understand that. So when America makes a mockery of the law, it's not just that they defy the law with their stupid absurdities and so on. It's worse than that. They laugh in God's face because they know what it says in the Torah. They know the whole concept of what a legal system is and how necessary it is. But they're all laughing in God's face. Now, God is not insulted. He's above it all. He doesn't get insulted. But what he does say is, wait a minute. (laughs) What he does say is this. It's one thing to argue with me, but what you're doing is contrary to common sense. It's contrary to logic. Not only that, this is not the purpose of creation. It's to have a society, right, that will ultimately do the will of God. But what's worse is you have made a mockery of justice. And therefore, I will take you out. And therefore, what is frightening is to watch New York City dissolve. Nobody would ever believe a hundred years ago that New York would dissolve. Nobody. Too sophisticated. Too much of a center of the world. (coughs) But that is what's happening. (coughs) But that is what's happening. You see. And therefore it's frightening that if God can do this to New York City, which is in many ways the fulcrum of America, imagine what he can do to any country, which he's doing, by the way, to Ukraine and to other countries and so on. And that is frightening to watch, you know, that America has actually succumbed to this. Who would have believed this? It's beyond belief. So in many ways, I, I hate to say it, I'm afraid for America you know, <laughs> because I, like I say, the injustice of what America is doing, not just New York, but the whole America is doing. But could you imagine? I mean, just one piece of uh, the injustice, you know. What do you mean? You want to do charity. Okay. You know, first of all, the federal government's job isn't to do charity, right? It's to enable America to exist as a society, and therefore each one could pursue his form of happiness (laughs) that's what it's all about the pursuit of happiness and that's what it says right in the declaration of independence and so on right that they're able to pursue whatever they think is happiness and so on that's great so you want to do that fine but then do it on your dime where do you come off going into my pocket that I have to support 
illegal immigrants, they're not even legal, <laughs> right? They're illegal. So you want to be charitable to them. Guess what? Take out your credit card or checkbook and you make a donation to illegal immigrants if that's what you want. But how can you go over to illegal immigrants who are illegally here? First of all, it's not even the function of government, right, to be a charity. It's not your function, right? The second thing, they're illegally here. You're violating your own laws, which is a mockery of justice, right? And the third thing you're doing is, I have to pay for them? I have to pay $380 a day uh, to put these people up, right? Now, it, it sounds, you know, well, how could you say that? Of course I can say that. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about against being against charity. <laughs> but this is completely inappropriate, misplaced. You see? So that's, the, that's, that, that's what the incredible injustice is. How do you take my money, if you want to do charity, and give my money to charity, tax dollars? What do you got a right to do that? You don't. It is illegal. It's called legal theft. And I hold it's unconstitutional. Where are people? Nowhere. Because that's the insanity of the mental state of people living in New York. You see? Now, I'm not against helping people, of course. You know? But where do you get a right to force me to give my hurt-earned dollars instead of giving it to my family? I get give it to a guy who's illegally here? Right? Do you know how much money it costs to support the 70,000 to date? Immigrants? It's insane. That's what that that that's only one kind of insanity going on, you know, and so on. And that's what they're doing. I'm not even going into what they have to support these guys with. You know what it is? Free hospitals? You know what that is? Free education? Why? They're not here legally. We had a sweat for this. So what gives them the right? It boggles the mind. To watch grown men and women do this, you see. <laughs> so we're not just talking here about raw lawlessness, right? We're talking about absolute stupidity and nonsense, you see. And you want to do that? Fine. But there has to be what's called a gedder. There has to be what's called seichel, common sense, you see. You can't do that to people. It's like the might makes right. Well, if I can, if I can force you then I can do it no you can't that's the whole concept of justice so America is making a mockery not only of law but even of privileges and they have violated their own ability nobody gives them the right to come in and force me to give money to people if I want to give charity hey I'll give it to where I want why do I have to give it to this illegal guy? Now, I feel sorry for the illegal guy. It's true. I can understand him. Of course he wants a better way of life. You know, most of the world is a miserable place to live. All the third world countries, I understand that. You know, but there's got to be a gvul, a boundary. That's to make sense here. Or the whole thing falls apart. This is just one of the simple ideas and so on. But what worries me is the mockery of not only common sense, it is the mockery of justice. And God will not tolerate that, you see. And we are watching what God is doing. He's destroying New York, L.A., <clears throat> you know, and all the other cities.
I'm hoping that the Yeshua for this is that God will not destroy America, and I don't think He will. You know, I'm hopeful in many ways, very certain that the one who is doing all this is the woke community. They are destroying America. They are destroying mankind. They're making mockery of God. I mean, to walk over to a seven-year-old kid and convince him to cut, his, to cut out his genitalia, to transgender himself. You cannot believe the evil of that act. And they think they can get away with it with impunity. In fact, they're all like that. They think that God is not watching, or there is no God, chas v'shalom. Well, who cares what God says? But they have no idea. God is very patient, very patient. And sometimes it could take a hundred years for him to say, well, guess what? The time is up, justice now has to be served, and you can't believe what God does to these people. Destroys them utterly. That's what it says. When the time of evil has to be com compensated, right? Miyad yivedu. Immediately they are destroyed. You see? They had their time, and it's it. They have no idea of what, when the final, when justice finally comes around and its time is due, you have no idea of the destruction that will ensue. And we could see that in many ways from the Novi, you know, especially from the Haftarah of Nitzavim, which, by the way, is the same Haftarah as 9-11. You know, when it says that God is coming and Yeshayo HaNovi is watching and God is coming and His clothing is all red, <laughs> it's a prophecy it's a nevuah an image so Yeshaya was obviously very nervous because that meant that justice is about to be performed God said to Yeshaya he said no I'm not coming for Israel I, what, this is what I just did to Edom Edom western civilization I crushed them like a winemaker crushes grapes he steps on them and they spurt wine <coughs> and that's what I just did to Edom I crushed him so he's spurting blood and that blood has gone on my garments could you imagine what God did what kind of analogy is that could you imagine what kind of a metaphor that is right you squash a guy and his blood is spurting all over the place I mean, it's hard to even imagine what that means so the question is wait a minute what in the world did Edom do to deserve this? You know? I mean, I understand there's justice, but wow. We are watching an annihilation of Edom. So could you imagine what they must have done? <clears throat> Where they deserve to be splattered? <clears throat> Where their blood spurts out of them? Could you imagine what, what, they, what justified the act of God? Yes. You're looking at it now. It's called 2023. That's what it's called. Because they are not only, they are not, they, they are not just destroying America, which is a beacon of morality and justice to the entire world. <coughs> it's a choizik. They laugh, right, at what they're doing. Pronouns, mutilate gender, 
you know, and today homosexuality, LGBTQ, and all of this, you cannot interfere. <laughs> They're even taking the army and making them woke. I mean, it's like, whatever happened, America is an Alice in Wonderland country. Basically what it is, you see? That's called a chayzik. God is not going to tolerate that. So what I'm hoping, and the ones responsible for this, obviously, is the Democratic Party. So let me tell you something. You know, we have no idea of what the retribution will be to the Democratic Party for what they did to the common average citizen in America. And that's what's happening now as we speak. And the biggest proof of this, you know, if you want to understand what they're doing, <coughs> has there ever been, and we know what I've said about Trump and so on, that he's really a messianic figure. So what God is doing is something very interesting. Trump is not a guy that forgives very quickly, that's for sure not, right? Could you imagine what he's feeling inside him? He has been humiliated, probably the greatest humiliated person in American history, because it's not just he's being humiliated as a person, he's being humiliated from the highest office, and he's being treated like a schmata, literally, <laughs> you know? It's, you know, he used to be a doorman, <clears throat> he used to be a doorman. That's how bad it is for him. You know, now he just opens the door and closes the door. That's his level of prestige. But he's no longer a doorman. He's now the doormat. You see, now they just walk on top of him, you know. You can't believe what he must be going through. I mean, his ability to withstand that type of embarrassment and humiliation and degradation is super extraordinary and it is I believe because God is giving him the ability to withstand that you know to withstand such humiliation he's a guy that should have had five heart attacks by now just in the court cases and the amount of indictments and they want to indict him again and he's been this has been happening since he's president right why is God doing that I mentioned but one of the reasons is to fire him up I believe you know he will become president and he's going to go after this, these people, with a vengeance that you can't even believe. Because then he's president. And he made a very big mistake. He underestimated evil. Everybody does. That's the, that's the illusion that evil can do. Nobody realizes what they're capable of. And what they have done to him is the greatest embarrassment, humiliation ever shown to a, a president of the United States, which is beside, it's, 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 you can't even describe it. You can't even make this stuff up, you know. And I believe that he will be the arm of God, you know, in a certain sense, to give a blow to the Democratic Party. We don't even know what that means, and so on, you know. Anyway, so these are some of the ideas that I wanted to talk about it. I never even got into what I wanted to talk about, and that's Shabbos and prophecy and so on. But that'll be for next week. <laughs> okay, so I hope that I've clarified certain very, very important ideas and uh, that a person, you know, like I say, you know, should realize uh, what is happening and that we are really at the end of days. It's really what it is. And uh, the significance and the greatness of Torah the Torah is nothing more than a state of God.
Okay. Thank you.